following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We love stories, don't we? We love stories. Everyone loves a good film. Uh, we love stories. We love good stories. And what's so good is that tonight we're starting a new series that's going to take us through the summer here at St. Michael's, uh, looking at stories that Jesus told, the best stories of them all. Uh, and uh, they're called parables. And we'll be looking at a whole load of parables, both in the evening and the morning, over uh, the next few weeks. And uh, we're really looking forward to them. Uh, and they're great because they're brilliant narratives. They really capture our hearts capture our imaginations. But the thing about parables that Jesus told is that they have a bit of edge to them. Uh, there was a book written on Jesus' parables 20 years or so ago, uh, when I was a student, maybe 30 years ago, something like that. But it was called A Sting in the Tale, A Sting in the Tale. And it was all about parables, and it was saying that these parables that Jesus told, they always have a sting in the tale. There's something in them that sort of gets through our defenses and has a big impact upon us. And uh, a good impact upon us, but a big impact upon us. And uh, expect that. I'm giving us warning to expect that over the next few weeks uh, as we really hear Jesus' parables, these stories. Many of them will be very, very familiar stories, not all, but to expect them to have a big impact upon us and to be open to that. Uh, Jesus said, uh, when he was asked about parables, he said uh, this uh, to his disciples. So this was during the parable of the sower, which we're going to be hearing next Sunday morning. But he said this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And there was a challenge within that. Are we going to have ears to hear? Um, are we going to be open to hear from uh, Jesus in these uh, story. So Lewis is going to be preaching a little bit later on. Um, we'll uh, hear the story. We're going to turn to God's Word now. So grab hold of the Bible. We need to be turning to Luke chapter 14. Trina's reading from Luke chapter 14 and it's verses 15 to 24 and then uh, Lewis is going to come and preach. So Trina, over to you. The parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, good evening. Um, so, yes, as Trina just read out for us, we are looking at Luke chapter 14 this evening. Um, possibly a parable that you, you are familiar with. Um, 
we've definitely heard uh, before. Um, oh, great. So there's a handout coming out. Um, but while, while, that's, while that's happening, let's, let's pray. Let's pray together and commit this time to the Lord. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your words to us. Um, we thank you, Lord, um, that you've given us the Bible. Um, thank you that the Bible teaches us about who Jesus is, about um, what he's come to do. And thank you that in the Bible we come across and we come face to face with the amazing offer of free grace. Um, we pray this evening, please uh, open our hearts to receive this word um, and we pray that our lives will be changed from it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay. So, um, a question for you to begin with this evening. Um, have a think to yourselves for a split second. What, what is the best invite you've ever received, I wonder? Um, what is the best invite you've ever received? Now, sorry, the split second's up for the, time of, for the purpose of this time. But I want to take you back 11 years to 2012, believe it or not. That seems a long time ago. Well, it sounds a long time ago, but it seems that it wasn't a long time ago. Um, so I was 15 years old, and 2012 is probably one of the most memorable years of my um, teenage, teenage period, teenage life. Um, 2012 was the year that London hosted the Olympic Games, and it was amazing. It was so good. There was a real buzz in the air. Um, I just remember watching telly. You had all the adverts, um, kind of uh, everything was Olympic-themed, and it was just really exciting from the, the moment that that clock strike struck 12 on the 1st of January. Everything had five rings and was geared towards the summer. Um, there were interviews with the key stars. Who are you going to look out for? Who were who were competing for GB? Um, and you could just feel the anticipation for probably the, the most significant sporting event in the world. It was huge. Um, and maybe you remember um, that if you wanted to go, you had to apply for tickets uh, a long time in advance. I can't actually remember how long it was, but I remember it was a long time. And um, obviously... Um, Sadly, um, didn't get any, which I was absolutely gutted about. But, amazingly, two days before the athletics competition started, one of my uncles, who did actually manage to get tickets, um, phoned my mum up and was like, do you know what, what are you doing? Not tomorrow, but the next day. And he said, any chance that you want um, a spare ticket to come with me to see the athletics? And honestly, it was the easiest invite to say yes to ever. Um, now, why I begin with this story is because in our passage this evening, um, we see one of Jesus' parables that is centered around the ultimate invite from God. So it's commonly known as the parable of the great banquet. And the big idea is that Jesus invites us in the gospel to something incredible, which we'll think about together but there's a tragic reality, and that is highlighted in this parable. And that is that sinful humanity says no to this invite. It often turns it down for other things dead. So we're going to spend our time this evening reading through this parable together and thinking about what Jesus is teaching us and how we should respond. So, important to begin with is to check the 
is to think about the context. So our first point is just painting the scene, painting the background. What, what is happening here? Well, in the context of Luke's gospel, back at the start of chapter 14, we, um, we read, um, so it's all part of the same scene, but verse 1 of chapter 14 sets the context. It says that Jesus tells this parable while he was at a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath day. Um, and we see an interesting detail in verse 1, that he was being carefully watched. So it's not really a warm welcome. Um, it's, not, it's, it's actually pretty frosty. Um, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, they were, they were highly suspicious of Jesus. Um, and really what they were doing here was testing him. They were, they were trying to trip him up, um, to, to try and point him out to be a fraud. Now the Pharisees were established people, highly revered in the streets of Israel, uh, sorry, in the streets of Israel, cities, towns and villages. And we know from other parts of the Gospels, uh, Gospel accounts, that it was probably quite common to see them performing their religious duties on the street in full view of everyone. It was a very kind of outward appearance. And of course, from the outside, surely these guys would be the ones who you'd assume were living <coughs> lives that were pleasing to God. Sorry, I just need some water. <coughs> Um, or at least that's what we would naturally think, isn't it? From the outside, there doesn't seem to be any kind of controversial or moral issue with these guys. They seem pretty shiny, um, pretty in order. If anyone would enjoy a seat at God's table in the new creation, surely it would be these guys. But Jesus very much has the Pharisees in mind as he tells this parable here. And it's worth mentioning as we set out this evening, that the tone in this parable is one of warning. It's, one, it's a serious tone. The background to this parable seems to kick off in, in verse 15. And if you have a look, it's a comment that's made by one of the guests who, who's described as reclining at the table with Jesus. And he says this, he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, he quite possibly has in mind um, a verse from Isaiah chapter 25. It's, um, it's an amazing verse. It's a wonderful promise that God makes, uh, looking forward to the new creation. And in this verse, it's declared that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine with the best of meats and the finest of wines. And the prophet Isaiah is using the image of a feast to convey the joy and celebration that God's people will experience in the new creation. <clears throat> but, because, but some people have suggested, some Christian writers have suggested that the man here says this, um, this statement as a bit of a conversation changer because things have gotten a bit awkward if we, if we kind of look back a couple of steps in the previous couple of verses, Jesus has actually presented um, a challenge to his host, the Pharisee, because he's looked around the room and he's noticed that clearly he's only invited his friends or his family or his rich neighbours. In other words, he's purposely invited easy company or the people he likes. 
There's no real loving cost or sacrifice to this banquet that he's been invited to. Now, this is actually quite upside... Well, it is very much upside down, considering that the religious leaders were meant to be ministers to the people of Israel. They were meant to be... They're described in the Old Testament as shepherds of God's flock, those who are meant to look after them. And it really speaks volumes, doesn't it, about the, the spiritual heart underneath the kind of religious... Um, outward appearance. The people he had invited were those who could just easily repay him. And Jesus says, verse 13, he says this, but when, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And the reason I highlight this verse that isn't actually in our passage this evening is because this exact phrase is repeated in the parable that we're looking at. And it's a phrase worth bearing in mind as Jesus says that ultimately it's these guys, it's the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind that God invites to his kingdom. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This parable is about who will truly experience and enjoy the feast that God is preparing for his people. So, our second point, verses 16 to 17. The banquet is ready. Verse 16, we read, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for all is now ready. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Abby, um, my wife, and I received this through the post. Um, It's a wedding invite for friends who are getting married next month. And it's always a really nice thing, isn't it, to to get through it? to get through the post, it's um, a wedding invite. It's much more exciting than kind of letters from Richmond Council or um, other, other things. But um, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, uh, and what's striking is that being invited to a wedding is special because it communicates that the hosts want you to be there to celebrate with them. They don't, they don't invite you because of the benefits you're going to bring to them. You get invited simply because they want your company. In other words, they, they love you. Now, we could wrongly look at this invite and think, this clearly shows us how special we are to, be, to have been invited. And clearly, they need us to be there for a good time. But um, that would be wrong, because in reality, the truth is that it isn't about us. It, the, and really, the privilege is to be invited. And of course, um, as we know, when we receive a wedding invite, it's important to RSVP, isn't it? To say to the host, to let the host know that you're going to be there, that you're coming, so that they can prepare, so that they can make a space for you. Well, the main character in this parable is described as a certain man who, according to verse 16, decides to throw a great banquet. Now, really, weddings are probably the only times in our lives where we full-on experience um, a banquet, isn't it? Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe some of you have been invited to, to banquets that aren't weddings, um, I don't think I have, um, but, but yeah, um, the detail that is given in this parable gives a clear impression that this host is, is a wealthy host, but also he's incredibly generous as well. And out of his generosity, he invites loads of guests to, to this big party that he's hosting. He wants lots of people to come. 
Now, the guests at this, this time would have already said that they were coming. So in of, often in ancient societies, in, in Jesus' day, an invite would be sent out a few days or possibly weeks in advance for a banquet or a wedding or something like that. And, um, and you would have sent an RSVP to say that you were coming. But then on the day of the banquet, the servant would come around to declare to all those who were invited that the banquet was now ready. Come on, the banquet was ready. He would come and declare that. So when we think about this, perhaps some of us who have hosted parties or events can imagine the hard work it would have been. You can possibly imagine all the hours of baking bread, roasting the joints of meat, getting the fish on the barbecue, pressing the wine and pouring it into vats. Well, to be honest, that's probably not what um, you do. This is probably very much kind of consistent with uh, what is described in this passage. It's probably more like go to Sainsbury's or something for us. But um, it's a real labour of love. Um, setting out all the tables and chairs to make sure everything looks nice. Um, the host would have given so much effort and time to, to prepare this banquet. And it's now complete. And he's looking forward to sharing it with his guests who have said that they're coming. But when his servant goes out to call everyone in, the responses are meant to take us by surprise. Because if we remember the people Jesus is saying this to, the Pharisees, no good standing Pharisee in this culture would even dream of responding like this to an invite. It was totally socially unacceptable. And of course, it, it still is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's embarrassing. So the third point, verses 18 to 20, poor excuses. Now the servant approaches the first guest, uh, verse 18. And what he says is, well, you know, you can imagine the conversation going something like this, you know, Good news, come on, the banquet is ready. Um, you know, I've seen what's happening, it's, it's, it looks amazing. Um, you know, come and follow me. And the guest turns and says, ah, Do you know what? I'm, I'm really sorry, I've, I've just bought a field. I probably won't be able to come now, actually, because I've got to go and see it. Please excuse me. Wow, you know, as in, wasn't, wasn't expecting that response. Um, I mean, when we think about it, it's not really a great reason, is it? If you've bought a field, then it's a pretty stable bit of property to buy. Um, it's definitely not going to be stolen. Um, it's not going to walk off. Um, you're not going to lose a field. So surely this guest could have gone to see his field tomorrow. So the second, um, the, sort of the servant approaches the second guest who responds in a similar way. He says... I can't come because I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. <laughs> Please excuse me. Again, presumably this guest would have, would have had a barn ready or somewhere safe to keep his, his oxen that he was presumably planning on buying. He could have simply put them in the barn and then tested them out tomorrow. And then finally, the servant goes to the third guest who responds with, I'm really sorry, I, I've just gotten married. I can't come. It's actually quite a blunt response compared to the other two. He just simply says that he can't come. Now, even with this excuse, getting married, of course, is, is, is quite a bit more significant than buying a field. But surely this man could have at least brought his wife as a guest. 
And also, when you think about it, this is terrible planning on his behalf. If he'd RSVP to two things on the same day, then, um, yeah, that's pretty bad organization. Um, but again, like the others, the invitation to the banquet gets trumped by something else, something more important in his eyes. So, understandably, when we read verse 21, we read that the owner of the house who was hosting the banquet became angry when he heard the responses of his guests. I mean, think about what these excuses communicate. It's not only a rejection of a generous offer, but it's also a rejection of the host himself, isn't it? They actually, when we think about it, they have a very low view of him. To simply turn down the invite in the way they have, it's offensive. It's really offensive. And when we read this, we're meant to feel this as we listen to what's happening. We're meant to feel the awkwardness, the, the kind of cringiness of these responses. So, as we come to our fourth point, we see that the host's response is striking. His generosity isn't thwarted by this. His generosity still remains, and he's determined to fill the banquet that he's prepared for, for, for his guests. So, our fourth point, verses 21 to 24, the house will be full. Now, the servant receives his orders to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. You know, that, there's that phrase again, isn't it, that we read about a moment ago. These, of course, are the people who would never, have, would always have been left out of invitations. These guys aren't the ones that get invited to events very often. But they agree to come. They come to the banquet. And the servant comes back and says to his master, verse 22, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. So verse 23, the servant is told to go even further than the city, out of the city to invite people from the roads and the country lanes all around to compel them to come in, to urge them to come in and to experience this banquet. The master wants to extend his generosity even to those who he doesn't know. Finally, verse 24. We see an interesting detail in this verse. We see that the master's generosity also proves to be judgment on the first guests. Those who turned down the generous offer to begin with are actually replaced by those who receive the invitation. They're replaced by the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But as we tie this together, as we take a step back, what does this parable actually mean? What is Jesus teaching the Pharisees? What is he teaching us as we read this parable? Well, firstly, the parable, of course, is meant to reflect God and the offer of the gospel. God generously prepares a heavenly wedding banquet. If I've understood this passage correctly... It's really teaching us about how we respond to the ultimate invite. The Pharisees who Jesus was dining with were actually those uh, that were represented by the guests who turned down the invite to come to the master's banquet because ultimately their lives, they themselves, they were rejecting Jesus. Jesus teaches in this parable that judgment is executed on those who reject this ultimate invite by sinners and Gentiles receiving the gospel. This invite that we're talking about is what we see in Christ. 
God in his great love is inviting each and every one of us this evening, everyone who's sat in this room, everyone who's outside, to a living relationship with him through Jesus Christ alone. He does this not because he has to. He's not obliged by it in any way. But simply because, simply out of his love, he chooses to do so. The Bible clearly says that we are all sinners. We've all walked away from God and we've committed cosmic treason against our creator and our king. We've all, in some sense, been the guests who reject our loving and generous master. And so we don't deserve this at all. But he offers us life and relationship with him despite this. We're all invited here this evening, every one of us, to be a part of the great feast that's to come in God's kingdom. To experience this heavenly wedding banquet, which will be prepared for God's people in the new creation. <clears throat> but the heart of the gospel is that we are invited in Christ. The invite is him alone, Jesus himself. And therefore, naturally, the invite is on his terms. But there is a, there's a real danger, isn't, he, isn't there, that we turn our noses up at God's generosity, just like the guests in the parable. Just like the Pharisees and many others in Israel at the time. Of course, we, we know people, don't we? We know people who do this. We know people who are living this way our, in our families, amongst our friends, people at work who, who disregard this invite from God, who disregard Jesus. And this parable ultimately teaches us that when we consider who Jesus is, when we consider his unconditional love towards us, when we consider the eternal joy that he brings us into, well, we see then that it's simply the most foolish thing to reject the invite presented to us in the gospel. How could we possibly reject it? Ultimately, it's those who see this invite as a privilege that will rejoice in it the most. I'll say that again. Ultimately, it's those who see this invite as a privilege that will rejoice in it the most. I mean, do we remember that our calling to live for Jesus is a privilege this evening? I know that I personally have to remind myself of this daily, that I am the most privileged person I know at work, or in my family, or amongst my non-Christian friends, because by God's grace, I know Christ. But it doesn't come naturally. It has to be reminded. And there may well be some of us here this evening who are, who are wanting to keep Jesus at arm's length. You're interested in him, but you don't trust him. Or perhaps you're too occupied, like in the parable, with the, the new field in your life, or the new yoke of oxen, or the fact that you've gotten married. Of course, you know, insert into those gaps kind of the, the things that you can think of. Sometimes um, the voice of God in your life inviting you to his heavenly banquet is, is squished down, is quashed. But perhaps for those, those of us this evening who are Christians, for us it's much more like a gradual drift, isn't it? Where Jesus just becomes smaller and smaller in our minds and hearts and therefore in our daily lives. There are many common ways this can happen, aren't there? So, Second, so uh, we, we, as we think about this application, um, secondly, what, what blurs our gospel vision in life? 
Now, I've simply suggested two things for the sake of trying to apply this to everyday situations. Um, but have a think for yourselves. Have a think as you leave here this evening. What does this look like for you? So firstly, sometimes we can, we can, um, we can be blurred by thinking that our good works or our religiosity is what's going to rescue us. Now, this is what the Pharisees were, this is what really characterized the Pharisees. It's very tempting, isn't it, sometimes for our confidence to be in the things that we do. For us to think that ultimately God invites us to share in this heavenly wedding banquet because we've done enough. I'm a good person. I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I do good things, I give to charities. And of course, they're really good things. Please come to church, please read your Bible and pray and be a blessing to other people. But the real test is when we think that this is what gives us confidence that ultimately, uh, sorry, ultimately that we will be rescued from sin and death. That's the real test because that shows us that we are, our hope is in the wrong place. The flip side can also be seen when we sin, when we, when, we, when we stumble, when we fall, when we do things wrong. Sometimes we believe falsely that we need to do a form of, of kind of penance to win ourselves back to God's good books, if you like. Now, both of these are examples that are untrue, according to the Bible. God invites us not because we're good, but because Jesus is good. Jesus is the one who hasn't broken God's law. He hasn't, um, he hasn't sinned like we have. And what that means here this evening is that the gospel is for everyone. There's nobody that's too rotten, nobody that is too immoral or too far gone to be part of God's kingdom. He invites us. We're his guest. He loves us. And ultimately, we have confidence because he's paid for us to be there through dying on the cross in our place. Do you believe that this evening? This is the gospel. God wants us to be with him because of who he is. And as we thought about at the beginning with the wedding invite, it's simply our privilege, our privilege to accept, to trust Jesus with our lives and in our deaths. Secondly, um, this is quite a broad, a broad application, but the, just the simple distractions of life. Now, again, I encourage you, go and consider what this looks like for you in your lives. But sometimes as Christians, because we spend so much of our time with people who, who don't follow Jesus, we can simply just be too occupied with the things that the world around us sees are important. We can forget this invite from God because something else grabs our attention or our desire. Perhaps, for example, you get into a conversation with someone at work. You get into a, group, a conversation with some people who are talking about their aspirations to, to climb the career ladder, to get the next promotion. And they begin talking about how their aim is to win as much money as they can, to make their lives as comfortable as possible so that they can have the best things, the big house, the nice car, the expensive holidays. And we can very easily find this tempting, can't we? We can think, that seems so nice, that sometimes the direction of our lives is changed, that sometimes we can be tempted to live for this and follow this as our main purpose in life, as opposed to to following Jesus, to living for him. Or perhaps we spend time with a friend who keeps telling us about all the dates he or she's been going on in, and the constant thrill of rom romance in their, in their lives. The temptation sets in to think, wow, you know, that sounds like such a fulfilling, exciting life. I wish I had that. I want that. I'm sure you can think of examples yourself, can't you? 
And of course, you know, we have to be balanced with these things. This isn't to say that you know, getting a higher paid job is a bad thing, of course, necessarily, or wanting to do well at your job, or wanting to be in a relationship providing us you know, God-honoring and in line with God's good design as presented in Scripture. But the point that I'm trying to draw out from this passage, the point that I'm trying to draw our attention to, which I think is one of the applications from this parable, is that these things can, be very often, can very often be examples of ways which Jesus Christ and the offer of the gospel is squeezed into the sidelines of our lives. Ultimately, when we lose sight of being a part of God's kingdom, and this being the most incredible and satisfying reality of all, then gradually over time we live functionally as those who said that they were too busy to come to the banquet. And our hearts become hard, don't they, towards Jesus? Well, finally, so what? What is the answer? Well, we need renewed gospel vision. It's as if, you know, you need to put glasses on. You know, um, glasses help see clearer, don't they? Um, We need our gospel vision to, to be able to see the beauty and the glory of this invite so that we'll be able to respond properly to the gospel invitation. We need to have a renewed sense of the privilege and joy here that comes from hearing Jesus' words, come, follow me. And so appreciate from this parable, as, and, and so appreciate from this parable what heaven is compared to. It's compared to a banquet, a feast with God himself. If you follow Jesus here, you will experience eternal life, bought, given freely to you. It'll be an eternity of of exquisite, unending joy, richly represented by the Bible's description of of God causing the mountains to flow with sweet wine. And as we thought about at the beginning, that image, that verse from Isaiah, that God will prepare the feast of choice meats, the finest of wines. They're images that, that kind of convey satisfaction and abundance beyond anything that can be offered to us here on earth. Sin will no longer be a presence to destroy us and rob us of life. Anxiety and sadness will be gone. God will wipe away every tear. But the best thing about this reality, the best thing about all these things, is that our home will be with God himself. How wonderful will that be? When we actually think about that, when we stop and think about what that means, what the implications are for that. That is a wonderful thing to look forward to. Therefore, a closing word, possibly to, to, to those this evening who, don't, who maybe don't call themselves Christians, those who don't follow Jesus. Consider these words in this parable. Who or what are you living for? Are you rejecting this free invite that God is graciously giving to you this evening to come and to know him and to experience eternal life, which is only found in Jesus? The invite is there for you. Don't leave it too late to respond. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much as we consider this passage this evening, as we consider the implications for our lives. We thank you for your kindness in giving us an invite Thank you for this invite to share and to hope in the gospel. We praise you for our Lord Jesus, the one who came to die for us on a cross, to offer us eternal life in doing so. 
to pay for our sin and to conquer death for us. Thank you, Lord, this evening that the offer is free. That the offer is here for every, each and every one of us. And Lord, we pray that as we go out this week, that our, our eyes, our vision will be renewed into knowing that what we have in you is the most wonderful thing. Please protect us from the temptations that we, find, that, we, that we experience in our lives. Help us to continually come back to you and to see the beauty of knowing you and the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.